There is a bit of explicit content in the podcast you are about to hear. It's Friday, April 19th, 2019. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Mueller report is out in the world. It's not a, not a game changer, more of a game confirmer. The game might be rigged. It's been likened to a birth, right? We waited all this time and then you gave birth to the baby. I don't think it's a good analogy because when you give birth to a baby, you got to act on that somehow. And I think the government is just going to take note of this supposed baby and then not do anything. So here's the better analogy, and I'm kind of sorry for it. It is a fitting analogy, though perhaps not a pleasant one. I think the Mueller report is more like a desperately needed bowel movement. You're glad it's out of you, but it still stinks. Sorry to work foul. Speaking of foul, interesting story in the New York Times about how Gina Haspel of the CIA has persuaded Donald Trump to sanction, in this specific case, the Russians after they poisoned some, to their minds, dissidents and uh, uh, Skirpal and his daughter. And of course, there were other people who were victims of the Russian uh, chemical weapons attack. So Haspel and others within the uh, intelligence community were trying to convince Trump to sanction some Russians, and he wasn't inclined to. He thought it was just uh, perhaps spycraft gone a little bit wrong. It was also suggested that he doesn't take kindly to rats. So what Haspel did was to use some emotional images to appeal to the president. Quote, Mrs. Haspel showed pictures the British government had supplied her of young children hospitalized after being sickened by the Novichok nerve agent that poisoned the Skirpals. She then showed a photograph of ducks that British officials said were inadvertently killed by the sloppy work of the Russian operatives. And this worked. Pictures of the sick kids and the dead ducks got to Trump. I don't know if this conveys an ounce of humanity, that that, that Trump was moved by sick children and dead ducks. I tend to think it's more of an indictment, but maybe it's a pathway to get him to change some of his disastrous policies, sir. The China, China tariffs, They're destroying farmers in the Midwest. Don't care. Well, I don't want to have to bring this up, sir, but I'd like you to look. This is a picture of a gosling who is in the possession of Sophia Waterston of Storm Lake, Iowa. Hard times have caused her to leave the gosling malnourished. And global warming, sir, I know you don't care about global warming, but Wilbur Ross has a pond in his backyard. And because you didn't sign the Paris Accords, the migratory patterns of the usual ducks that go there have been entirely affected. And sir... And sir, that wall that you're building in Mexico, oh no, don't say it, it has displaced a family of mallards. No, I can't do it to the ducks. Fire Stephen Miller, tell Nancy she wins, the poor ducks. All right, whatever we do, do not tell him that Mueller's middle name is Swan. On the show today, it is an N10 twig, but first... South African comedian Loiso Gola brings the eye of a world traveler to our insular shores. He's in New York through Monday. He's on Netflix every day. He speaks five languages. I decided to talk to him in English, though this interview is a bit funnier in the original Osa. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. 
And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Loiso Gola is a South African comedian. He has a Netflix special called uh, The African African, which is apt. He's also playing in New York City at the Soho Playhouse. Loiso Gola, unlearning. That's running for the next few days if you're in New York and want to catch him. He's also here now. I mean, why would I just be talking about some South African <laughs> comedian who's not here now? Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. So I want you to know that I went to Netflix and you do have this special and it's part of this, I don't know, they've collected every funny person in the world, apparently. They have like this 68-part special. 47. 47-part special. Okay, so a prime number, that's good. And then I watch you, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be interviewing this guy, Louisa. I'm like, oh, that guy was funny. And then the next guy comes up and his name is Louisa too. And I'm saying to myself, I hope I saw the right Louisa. And it was, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine I had spent my time watching a guy who was funny and then to watch a guy who was a little less funny and then have to to awkwardly not bring it up. I find the other Louisa you mentioned very funny too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you know, you were my first Louisa. But I I understand what you mean though. Yeah. Is that a common name in South Africa? It's common amongst Kosa people. Yeah. And that's a... Where is that in terms of the ethnicities of South Africa? Number one? Two. Two? Yeah, Zulu is the most yeah. spoken language and the biggest group of people. More than time. more than English as a spoken language? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And you speak what? Eight languages? No. I I, I can speak Afrikaans, Kosa, yeah. Zulu, and English. And then Tswana and Sutu, I can like... So kind of like whisk, like you know, yeah. Figure my way around it. I, are, I don't speak it as fluently as I speak the other languages. Are the indigenous African languages related to each other linguistically? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Kosa and Zulu are very related. Um, but in in term, I mean, like languages um, in South Africa, most people will speak like five. Yeah, and I mean, when I say most people, I mean, I mean like black people. White people don't. Care. Yes, this they is just the speak benefit English. of being the colonizer. You come yeah. to us, right? Yeah, so yeah. they, you know, they speak English and sometimes just Afrikaans, or sometimes English and Afrikaans, or a little bit of both, or one. You know, what it's not. It's so, which fascinates me sometimes because if a white person's going to Paris or something, they'll brush up on their French. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, yeah, but you can't even speak Zulu. Why don't you just brush up on your Zulu first? And so sometimes when I when you really discuss like racism. You you discuss it in these terms of um, there's an action yes so that action is tangible so then the the, the tangible action of maybe race discrimination is someone said something that's derogatory and we go oh that's the thing but in this particular case the reason you would rather study French instead of the language of the people around is because you value the idea of whiteness which is French and then the idea of Zulu which is around you which is more would probably help you out more in your daily life. You don't value that as much. Yeah. And you then go, I don't need to learn that. And that's innately what racism is. Yeah, it's about, there's an aspect of it where I'm going to France, so I need to help myself navigate French and France. But here in South Africa, I'll rely on the other people to navigate me. I'm yes. the one they come to. Yes. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And so yeah. that's innately... What it, what's what's that's there's that power um, dynamic and 
And sometimes people don't spot that. So people think that for you to be like, I'm racist, to be racist means that you have to yell the N-word at someone. Nah, sometimes life is happening on a very subconscious level. So how do you as a comedian kind of make that? Well, there, there are a couple questions that this brings up for me. One is how will your act change from America to South Africa? I'm sure in many ways, but just in terms of when you're talking about that. No, I don't think, for me, I don't I don't really like to mollycoddle people through history. I think like, I, I gotta say the shit I need to say. Yeah. I, I don't, I mustn't be, oh, Americans are gonna feel uncomfortable at this. I gotta go, Americans need to hear this. Or but by Americans, the same token, you can't uh, engage in a very long setting up of Yeah, 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 but now. I mean, I'm not... If you've seen my stand-up, yeah. I get to it. I get to it. Right. I say the thing I want to say, but I get to the point. I, depending on what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say, I'm not necessarily like um, gonna say all the things I want to say. You know what I mean? Because some, because it becomes too wordy, and it's, right. then it's not comedy. It's a TED talk or so a poem, me, whatever the hell. Give it me, is. give me, yeah, give me an example of if you can. Ha, are there some jokes that are similar but not the same? For a South African audience and for an American audience. No, I do, no, I do, nothing. I do, I do jokes the, the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't like changing up jokes. I like to give people. It's like if you write a book, you can't write a different version for South Africans. You just write the book, and the people will consume. I I also hate patronizing audiences or molly coddling audiences. Sometimes I I I even like it when shows don't even have a good ending. I don't know if you watch a show called The OA. I've heard about it. It's amazing. You got to yeah. watch it. Yeah. If you watch the show, especially, I just finished watching the second season. Uh-huh. It leaves you going, what? Just what? Right? And then you. And then when I was having discussion with other people, they wanted the, the, the show to have a solution for them. And yes. I go, no, 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 no. Sometimes it's not about them having the solution. Sometimes you have to think about it and apply your mind and come to whatever conclusion that you want to come to. So sometimes I just say the thing that I need to say and then the audience will decide whether they, they how they compute. So it does, that's okay then. You might not get the laugh. You might not get No, I, I want the laugh. You want the laugh. I want the laugh. Yes, of course. So I have to construct whatever idea into a laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you're presenting them with the idea that they might not totally understand the resolution of, but they find something funny there. Yes. Some expectation that's upended, yes. some observation that they yeah, hadn't heard yeah, before. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. <laughs> The thing about you people as well is it's nice to be here. And when I walk down the street, I see protests, like protests, like weird protests. Things where I'm like, what is being, what's happening, kid? What's, what's, what's going on? Weird protests. Don't cut the trees. Don't cut the trees. Save the panda bear. Listen, there's no one in Africa that would march for a fucking panda bear, like ever. Like, I'm not saying we're killing panda bears, but by the time we are marching for panda bears, you must know things have changed drastically. We are having a good time as a continent. There is no way anyone in Africa is taking a day off to protest for panda bears, ever. Even, even, Nelson, Mandela, even Nelson Mandela would look silly in his time of revolutionary Nelson Mandela if he came out <laughs> protesting against the treatment of panda bears. We must come together <laughs> for this panda bus. We must treat this panda bus equally. <laughs> but we must be sure we are only protesting and fighting for the black parts of the panda bus. 
The white parts of the panda bear cannot be trusted. <laughs> no. That's such a silly joke. That joke is silly. How often are you in, like in a typical year, what countries are you in? How often are you in South Africa? Where oh, I go to South Africa a lot. I, I'm kind of like, I used to do a political show in South Africa. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of what, what's, what's happening and what's cutting in, in, in current political sphere. But um, I've spent also a lot of time in London. Listen, even if you ask me now, nobody really knows what's going on at, with Brexit. Like nobody, you know what I mean? It's stressing yep. everyone out. No one really knows. Even if you ask the most, if you can't explain it to a, a person who doesn't know the thing, then you don't know the thing yourself. Right. And and I know this is crazy to say. It's such a crazy thing to say. And if you think I'm crazy for saying this, you know, like with economics, mm -hmm. economics is one of the few things where it involves the whole country, but a very elite group of people get to make decisions on it right and the majority of the people have no idea what's going on like if i ask a regular person on the street if i ask a thousand people a regular or a million people on the street yeah this is the, what's crazy to me a thing that involves everyone right right which is the economy you were involved in the economy whether you like it or not you have zero understanding of it. And if you ever talk to an economist, they'll always go, nah, you won't understand. Da, 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 da. You need to go to Harvard for this kind of stuff. I'm <laughs> like, no, motherfucker. This thing involves me. So it's a, like, have you, if you go to the doctor, he's always going to explain it to you until you get it. Yeah. Like he's going to go, the thing with your knee, and then you, by the time you get home, you're like, oh, do you know that my knee is connected to my neck and my man? And they'll make it, and they'll make you understand. And then, but with economists, and I'm like, Guys, I don't understand how, as a society, we are allowing our lives to be dictated to by a very elite few of people who know that it, we should all know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. We should all be like, eh, no, we should all have these conversations. But no, no, stimulus, no, whatever the case may be. I don't fucking know what's going on. All I know is oh, the, the dollar and gold is trading what the fuck are you talking about? Spot gold? I don't even know what spot a spot of gold is. Do you understand what I mean? I why do, do I need to why do I need to go to Harvard to understand yeah. how my life is, you know? It's probably by design that it's calculated. Of course, so that's opaque. what I mean. And the analogy, so I was thinking, so as a comedian, where's the comedy there? I think it's from it's to an analogy like, and I was immediately thinking the body. What if we were as ignorant about how our actual bodies work, which is something that affects all of us, as the economy? And what if doctors operated like an economist where they used weird terms and you would come yes. out of there not knowing, wait, is cancer good or bad again? <laughs> that's basically what's going on. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a really funny bit. Yeah. Like when you Yeah. So it's 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 a really crazy thing. Like, so I was wondering. I I get why, as a political and politically motivated and minded person, you would study up on this. But I was wondering which cultural references make it to you and get through. Because you have this great joke about white privilege being embodied in the name of the band, the Killers. Right, right. right? Like, imagine there's a bunch of black guys and they're called the Killers. It means something different. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But I don't know how big the. I don't think they're a niche band, but I don't know how big they are worldwide. I don't know how you came to the Killers or like, was it the you were in America and the first time you heard of the Killers? Oh, you I immediately said oh these oh guys. no I, I remember the day I thought of that joke uh -huh. I was walk um, the the global citizen concert in, in Central Park right and I'm walking with my former manager and we got and Stevie Wonder's headline in the show for real and I'm like oh wow I gotta go see those and we walk in there and as we're walking in the background um the killers are playing and she's like oh I love the killers and I go <laughs> 
And I go, only a white band could call themselves the killers. Like, no black band that wants to go number one in the billboard will call themselves the killers. It just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, and that, and then I was, and then she was like, that's a funny idea. You should do it on stage. And I did it on stage and I, it ended up on Netflix. Yeah. Were, who were your biggest influences? Who'd you watch as a young kid who did comedy, who you loved? I watched uh, lots uh, of Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I watched a lot of Bill Cosby. Yeah. And I watched a lot of Chris Rock. Uh-huh. I see a uh, lot of Richard Pryor, though, in your act, too. Yeah, Pryor, Pryor yeah. influenced the whole thing. And maybe it was the yellow jacket you were wearing, but I saw some Bernie Mac, too. Bernie Mac? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all, all, because the, these are quite generation-defining guys, that's mm-hmm. a fair comment. And also, you laugh a lot at your jokes, like big, hearty laughs, and not all co- comedians do it. Yeah, because I find my shit funny. <laughs> yeah. Luis <laughs> <laughs> well, Gola has a new special out on Netflix. He's also playing at the uh, Soho Playhouse in New York until April 21st. Great to meet you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And now the spiel. It is an Antan Twig, our name for a three-week period where we round up all the feedback, make all the corrections, feel all the feels. True, it has only been two weeks since the last Antan Twig, but you know when one approaches a black hole, it bends time. The Antan Twig has similar properties. I do usually wait longer than three weeks to do them, so why not do one under three weeks? I got lots to work with. Let's start with a tweet I got after doing some work on Twitter, which echoed a sentiment I expressed on this show. Here is that tweet. You all have no shame and not a trace of human decency. It's amazing. There were others like it. Here is the subject at hand. The New York Times did a story on the squabbling between the Bernie Sanders campaign and Neera Tandon, a Clinton loyalist who runs the influential think tank Center for American Progress. Uh, The story, written by Elizabeth Williamson and Kenneth P. Vogel, included some quotes from Maya Tandon, who is Nira's mother. Maya was asked about her daughter, and here's some of what she said. I'll read the article. Still, Ms. Tandon's mother, Maya Tandon, says her daughter, quote, can be aggressive, quote, she's not going to let anyone rule over her, she said, quote, and she has loyalty to Hillary because Hillary is the one who made her. Those Bernie brothers are attacking her all the time, but she let them have it too, Maya Tandon said. She says Sanders got a pass in 2016, Quote, but he's not getting a pass this time. Now, I talked about this on the show just a few days ago. Those are all good quotes. I learned about the daughter who is the subject of this story through the person who maybe knows her best in the world. That's called good journalism because to spell it out quite clearly so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, the New York Times accurately conveyed quotes about a subject from a source who knows the subject very well. I am, I guess, placing myself on team journalism and not on team let us decry useful journalism when it reflects poorly on us. In doing so, I open myself up to criticism, which is fine. It was a torrent of criticism, which was curious. It was really over-the-top, disproportionate to the argument-at-hand criticism, which is weird and I think worth probing. So over the years, I've been slammed pretty hard by the champions of some pretty stupid causes, like the ASMR people. Let me tell you, when the forces of Big Whisper come screaming at you, it's kind of hilarious. And then there was the MJ was falsely accused camp, right? Championing their hero, Michael Jackson, 
look, we all need a cause in life. If yours is going to be getting fervently behind a deceased child molester, that is the choice you've made. But the guff I took over this defense of the New York Times was wild. Again, I'm going to restate my thesis and then read you some of the tweets. Here's my thesis. Calling the relative of an important public figure to learn about the background and personality of that figure is a valid news gathering technique. It also opened the door up to this. Wow, you are so terrible, it's kind of shocking. At least I am finding out who the heartless shells of human beings are around here, so that's a plus. Cardi B slash Kamala 2020 writes, leftists defending, attacking an 80-year-old immigrant. You guys are all proud of it. Every one of you fake leftists are exactly who we thought you were in 2016. Okay, she's not 80. My attendance, 78. It wasn't an attack. (laughs) I'll read you some more feedback. Quote, you think journalism is deceiving a septuagenarian immigrant woman into putting her name to an incendiary quote in the service of an ongoing campaign of violent harassment against her own daughter? It is so, I mean, that is true. That is just totally a uh, fair-minded way to explain what went on. A man named Rohit Puskor said to me, When you justify what the New York Times did and condescend to those of us who say it was wrong, all you are saying to me is not only do you not understand my culture and its reverence for our elders, you have zero desire to learn. It's not important to you. That same person opined that I don't believe that Maya Anti came up with the word aggressive on her own. I believe it was fed to her. The New York Times can prove me wrong by releasing the transcripts. Pengulasa said that my opinion, quote, reeks of bias and racism. They wouldn't dare do this with a white person's mom. They knew that immigrant parents are usually genteel, especially with New York Times reporters. It is true. I mean, what are the stereotypes of immigrants? Hardworking, want what's best for their kids, total gentility when the New York Times comes a calling. <laughs> this tweeter writes, if I were nearer, if I were nearer, I would file and complaint with the New York Times as well as the Press Association. Oh, come on. You don't have to get the Press Association involved. Not the all-powerful licensing bureau, the Press Association. And this brings up another major strain of complaint. People on Twitter telling me how journalism works. Dude, you know they have to get release forms signed by people in those situations before they air them. And Cardi B and Kamala 2020 was back saying, they sign a release. Listen, as someone who has literally done over a thousand men on the street, or as we call them radio vox pop interviews, you don't sign a release. Sometimes when you interview a minor, you sign a release. I've done thousands of these interviews. You don't sign a release. When you walk up to someone and say, hi, I'm a reporter for name of publication or outlet. There is no release. There is no statement. Now I am asking you something on the record. You Just identify yourself and see what they have to say guy named Brian MPLS said, it's really hard to see any significant difference between what Bernie's done to Nira and what Trump's done to Ilhan Omar. Candace Eisten says to me at Pescami, you're telling the World Wide Web that you're a scared, impotent man who hates powerful women and that you support tricking elderly immigrants into taking powerful women down. Get therapy, creep. Just the thing about the immigration status of Ms. Tandon, she has been in this country for over 50 years, by which I mean, what are you doing with these? She's an immigrant. She's an immigrant. How dare you with an immigrant? I think you're playing on some whiff 
of vulnerability that maybe someone who is a single mother in the United States who raised successful children doesn't need. Don't know. Just going to throw that out there. Also, I wasn't trying to tell the World Wide Web that I was a scared, impotent man. I was trying to broadcast that to the information superhighway. I guess my ICANN domain name potency, that's also in question. There are many, many misstatements of fact, like at Hillary persists said her mother didn't say anything that would lead a normal human to call Nira, quote, aggressive. Again, I can read the quote where Maya Tandon said, quote, Nira can be aggressive. And then finally, not finally, there were dozens, if not hundreds of these centrist hiking cat wrote to me, my God, I hope someone does this to you at some point. Fair enough. Hello? Hi, this is Daniel, one of the producers of The Gist, and I'm calling to speak with Mike Pesca's mother. This is she. Hi. Could you describe Mike's personality for me? <laughs> it's a little bit, he's got multifaceted. Uh, would you care to elaborate on that? Any particulars? I don't know what you want me to elaborate on. He's funny, he's smart, he's, he's kind, he's creative. What else would you like to know? Does he like Hillary Clinton? I think he finds that she's got some good points and some bad points. And what does he think of Nira Tandon? I don't know. I guess he's been on TV with her a couple of times. Uh, Again, good points and bad points. Thank you, Mother. There is a discussion about why I engage to this point. First, I should say it doesn't pain me. A lot of people who had to quit or unplug from the internet said, you know, it was causing me anxiety. It was keeping me up at night. It was causing such service. Not me. I'm fine. Yeah, I think it's because I don't really feel attacked. I don't feel vulnerable. I never feel physically scared. I mean, people call me impotent and sexist and racism. It's not nice. It's fine. I get by. The stakes are mainly my time, but I also think, well, the nice way to say it, the the complimentary way to myself, perhaps perhaps the self-delusional way to say it is that I have some sort of commitment to discourse. Uh, Maybe the more honest way of saying it is I can't let it go, but it's somewhere in between probably. I do think if Twitter were good and could be used for good, not ill, that would be a good thing for society. So I think if I make non-demeaning points to people who disagree with me, perhaps we can even advance the overall notion of disagreement in general. Now listen, I'm not bending over backwards to make my interrogators feel heard or valued. I'll be pretty terse. I'll say something like, yeah, that's actually not a journalistic rule, or yeah, the quote aggressive appears one in that story and it was said by the mother herself but there's something about it that makes me want twitter or something like twitter to be not necessarily a salon of discourse or the public square writ large but i just wanted to barely function as a way to disagree without insanity being injected and i have to say So why do I keep at it with much evidence to the contrary? I have to say, because once in a while, real good, productive disagreements occur. Sometimes, and this next one I'm going to talk to you about was on email, but interactions with actual listeners bear fruit. So in 2015, Mark, a listener named Mark, who tweets as at Arnie Lane, 
got in touch with me to talk about my idea expressed, I believe, on the Hang Up and Listen podcast that Tiger Woods could come back. He starts off by saying, I'm a seven handicap. I play better in the spring than the midsummer because of expectations. And he talks all about how he is a golfer has diagnosed Tiger as never having adjusted to his age, and he has an inability to give himself room to not be competitive, and a lot, a lot of reasons why Tiger's done, Tiger's not going to win. And I responded to him back in 2015, will you give me 50 to 1 odds he won't win another major? Mark said, yes. I said, we're on. I'll bet you 10 bucks. Mark decided, all right, well, how about I buy you four cases of beer or something like that? I said, fine. We're on. And then I noted to him, and I advise you, if someone offers you a bet of this nature, always take it. I have an unlimited time horizon, okay? The only thing that will make me lose my bet is literally if Tiger dies or if there's a zombie apocalypse, though I would still get zombie Tiger Woods in that scenario. So I win if Tiger wins a major, which can occur next year in five years. It's golf, so really can occur in the next 25 years. And by that time, I don't know, maybe at Arnie Lane will have lost my email account. Fine. But if Tiger wins, I win. Guess what happened last week? Tiger won. So without having contacted him for the last, it's been about nine years, I sent him an email off that original five-year-old chain saying, I win. And Mark said, all right, where do you want me to send the 500 bucks? I'm like, you serious? That's good. Gave him my email account, and there it was. Mark gave me the 500 bucks, and I promised to buy him a beer the next time he's in New York. And now moving on to the lobsters of the Antan Twig. Last time in this space, I announced that I had made a math mistake. It was uh, about a denominator. I got corrected. I should have gotten corrected. That's how it goes. What was interesting was the demographic of those correcting me. Dudes, all dudes. So I said, the next time I make a math mistake, I will award the lobster of the Antan Twig to the next non-dude who writes in. I was mistaken in that two non-dudes had written in. I just didn't realize it. One is because Elizabeth Warner wrote in on the GIST Twitter account, which is at Slate GIST. I don't check it as much as I should have. But the other is because Samuel Hansen, who got in touch with me on my Twitter account, said, quote, just wanted you to know that it wasn't only men who corrected your math. Given the name I go by, I understand the mistake, but I am non-binary, not a man. Name and gender can be misleading these days. Indeed, it can. And there's Samuel Hansen, the one time that the person doesn't go with the they there in their designation. There's no he, his, or they there. So I didn't know this about Samuel Hansen. I apologize. Not 100% sure if Samuel Hansen is a they there. But grammatically speaking, it doesn't matter for this next sentence because I'm going to say Samuel and Elizabeth, they are the lobsters of the Antan Twig. And that's it for today's show. Hi, this is producer Daniel jumping in with the trivia for this week. Which author, born in what is now South Africa, ranks among the very best-selling writers of all time with more than 100 million book sales? The gist was produced by Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader. One isn't a Bernie brother. The other literally has a Bernie brother. I mean, his brother is not named Bernie, but he's into Bernie, about which he says, you know, brother. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. She's both into stimulus and austerity, but has a very complex social media engagement strategy. The gist. I'm off to therapy now. 
we recently made a big breakthrough about my need for two-source affirmation. Umpru depru dupru, and thanks for listening.